0: Well, it's fantastic to be with all of you this weekend as we continue our journey traveling through the incredible unfolding story of God uh, as he unfolds it in the scriptures that he's revealed to us. A a story that is just uh, full of incredible adventure, incredible reality, and a story that speaks deeply to the lives that we live today. This week's been kind of a crazy week for me in some ways uh, because I feel like I've sort of lived between two Two worlds. What I mean by that is this, on the one hand, uh, I've lived in a world where some incredible conversations about the fruit of missional living have occurred that have really sparked in me a, a new inspiration to continue to live out uh, the story that God has called us into and been inspired uh, just to see the fruit of what happens when we step out into mission. And at the same time, lived in a world where there's been some real struggle as a result of missional living. Aksum uh, Coffee is... Many of you know a little store in uh, downtown Winter Garden received a little award this week for community impact, and so as the award was presented afterwards, I found myself in multiple conversations with people uh, that were really, really cool to listen into about the life of Mosaic Church. So they knew that I was pastor of Mosaic Church, and so I bumped into the woman that founded Buddy Break, which is the ministry... That we have here at Mosaic Church that we share in where people uh, that are part of families with children with significant special needs can can come and and drop their kid off for a a period of time with safe adults that understand the medical realities that come with that so they can go run some errands or they could go on a date or they can get away because you know that when you deal with high-end special needs, that can be all-consuming because calling a babysitter doesn't play out well. And so I bump into her and, and she says, oh my gosh, you're the pastor of Mosaic. I just want to thank you so much that uh, your church is not only involved in Buddy Break, but is a front runner in Buddy Break. Uh, we have over a hundred kids uh, with special needs that are part of our children's ministry as a result of the world we live in with the special needs world in Buddy Break and multiple other special needs arenas. And she says to me, you know how few churches and few organizations have the courage to step into this mess? Because right? it gets messy when you step into brokenness like that. And that same space, I bumped into someone that's highly involved in the foster care system in the Central Florida arena. They came up to me and they're like, oh my gosh, you're a pastor of Mosaic Church. I just want to thank you for the incredible work Mosaic Church is doing in the foster care system and for how many families in your church take on the realities of foster care. And the same words came out of her mouth. At one point she said, you know how few churches or organizations are willing to step into the mess that comes with foster care? Because it's a mess messy deal. I was having a conversation with somebody that knew that we had stepped into adoption, had heard that Mosaic Church, uh, over the last four years, have seen more than a hundred children adopted into forever families here. And so they're talking to me, they're like, it's, it's so incredible to hear about what Mosaic's doing in the field of adoption and, and your story and, and what's happening. Man, what an incredible thing! And I, I'm standing listening to these conversations and I'm, I'm feeling so excited that the realities that we've called uh, you guys too that I've been called to that we're stepping into these things and that that it is making tremendous impact in our city for the realities of the gospel. I I felt like constantly saying to them well we're just utterly convinced that what we've discovered in the gospel actually calls us to become ambassadors and, and to step into hard places. That's why we dare to go to these places. That's why we dare to step in. I was thinking about widows, you know, we've stepped into the whole world of widow care and and caring for those that are entering the last season of their time on this planet where the body starts falling apart and things start happening and it comes with some mess. And we were starting to step into that and I'm like, man, three years from now, those are going to be the conversations added to the mix. Uh, So few people dare to step into that arena because it's messy, but you guys, you guys just seem to do it. We just had global impact week last week, uh, a mission serve global, and we talked about the global environment, human trafficking, and and poverty, and and, and orphan care, and struggle globally, and and we're involved in all of that, and and you just hear it, man, who, who dares to do that? Simultaneously, while all that was going on, all that beautiful fruit born of the mission of life my wife and I are at home this week, and we're dealing with the dynamics of a family of eight and all the brokenness that comes with some of that, and, you know, uh, we used to live in darkness the first year or two in our adoption collision, uh, now we live in sort of the dawn or dusk, you know? It's not light yet, but it's like, oh, look, there's, there's definitely, I can see my hands in front of me, and, and it sort of feels lighter, but these dark clouds kind of come week after week, and they linger, and then they shoot lightning bolts at you, and so we, we have one of those weeks right now where just everything seems big and overwhelming, and some of the realities that come with that, and and it's hard. And I'm like, we're three years into this. Surely it's supposed to get easy now, we got it covered, but it doesn't seem to be happening. It just seems uh, still to have great days and rough days when you live in the reality of mission and mess. And so as I'm listening to all these stories, these people looking from the outside going, whoa. You guys just dare to go and no one dares to go. I kind of also want to say to them, we, we do, but, but we're, we're also all struggling, suffering uh, under the weight of what comes with that mess. See, that's why people walk into it and then run from it, or they just don't walk into it at all, because they, they're not stupid. They look in, and they go, oh, if we get into that, we're going to suffer. We're going we're gonna to have affliction that's going to come our way, and we live in a culture that's been very clear to us that affliction is very bad, and you avoid that. So as we step into that, what I do know is that it's going to get messy. It's going to get rough. It's going to get hard. It's going to get heavy. It already has. And it will. If we're going to sustain in buddy break, if we're going to sustain in orphan care, if we're going to sustain in foster care, if we're going to sustain in stepping into missional realities globally, if we're going to sustain in choosing to step into a married situation that's falling apart, but we're going to be redemptive. If we're going to sustain stepping into relationships that are hard, but we're going to stay redemptive. If we're going to sustain into any space where we are called to be redemptive, how do we do it? How do we stay the course when the the going gets really tough and everything tells us to bail? Because the reality is that's what our culture has taught us, right? If it's hard and it's going to bear great ease very quickly, then do it. But just stay with it for a little while. If it stays hard, it's bad. Because comfort, convenience, that's what we push after. We we were born and bred believing that. Then we became believers, started following Jesus, and it changed slightly. Sometimes it's going to be hard. You don't just avoid it. But if it stays hard, then God's not in it, right? It's hard for a season. But then all your friends start sitting with you, your Christian friends. They go, "How long has it been? It's still hard." Wow, maybe you made a mistake. Maybe it's time to bail. You've tried hard. Wow, you've been redemptive for a solid three months. Unbelievable. You are amazing. Uh, But it's time to rethink because it's not getting easier. But what we've discovered here at Mosaic Church is simple, right? We've discovered that when you're going to live redemptively, when you're going to step into hard things, hard places, broken places, uh, when you're going to live on mission for the gospel, that sometimes it's going to be hard all the time. Because that's what mess often does. And as we step into that, the question that lingers for us, if we're gonna dare to go to these places, is God, how do we sustain? How do we live? How do we, how do we engage in the afflictions that come our way as a result of mission living and not feel crushed under its weight? How do we do more than just bear it, more than just survive it? Because we certainly could survive it, right? This planet, it's a vapor. Our lives are going to pass like that. If, if, if the worst case scenario is just survive the horror and difficulty that comes with mission living, I think we can do it. But I don't don't feel like that's what the story is that we see unfolding in Scripture. So what do we do? Paul is currently writing a letter to the church in Thessalonica he 's sitting in Corinth he's traveled through Macedonia. you remember he came from Antioch he was traveling with Silas he picked up uh, Timothy in Galatia they traveled uh, west across Galatia and then through into uh, just about into Bithynia they got to the Aegean Sea they picked up Luke there the author of the Book of Acts they traveled across the Aegean Sea into Macedonia Roman territory they went to Philippi first headed down to Thessalonica to Berea went to Athens traveled to Corinth so we're With Paul in Corinth now, we've traveled with him through all those incredible stories. We're sitting in Corinth with him, and he is penning a letter back to the church in Thessalonica to encourage them because of some stories he's heard about them, right? Now, he was in Thessalonica not too long ago, and so we remember, if you've traveled with us, when he crossed into the uh, the Macedonian region across the Aegean Sea, when they got to Philippi, Roman territory, they enter in there, they share the gospel. What happened in Philippi? The people went nuts, they beat them, they arrested them, they put them in stocks overnight in prison, and they condemned them to death. So they were facing their death the next day. By God's incredible grace, Paul just kind of walked through that and then whispered to them toward the end, just in case you're wondering, I'm a Roman citizen. They went nuts, you don't get to arrest Roman citizens. And so they released Paul and they asked him to leave the city quickly. Very, very significant persecution in Philippi. When they went from Philippi down to Thessalonica, things didn't get better, they got worse. The worst persecution that I think we saw Paul and his buddies face in their Macedonian journey thus far has been in Thessalonica. Because the Jews there that were in leadership, that were jealous of Paul, were so jealous of him that not only did they have to whisk him out of Thessalonica in a, in a number of weeks to I mean, get him out of town, but when he went down to Berea, those Jewish people that were in leadership, jealous, followed him to Berea to stir things up there. They didn't even stay in Thessalonica. At least the people in Philippi stayed in Philippi and told him get out of town. And so we know that Paul's experience of carrying the gospel into Macedonia uh, by the time he gets to Thessalonica is not good. It's full of struggle, and you could imagine that Paul might be sitting around a coffee table with uh, our Christian friends, with us, and saying, oh my gosh, we went into Philippi, it went nuts, they tried to kill us, we went to Thessalonica, they tried to kill us. We might say to Paul, did you ever consider not going into Macedonia? Did you ever think maybe God's saying to you, not a good move, Roman territory, go up into Bithynia, go down into um, Asia Minor, spend some time where the Jewish people are? But but don't go over here. These people are trying to kill you. And, And I wouldn't imagine it would be tough for us to hear that conversation. And what Paul's gonna do for us now in the letter to the Thessalonian churches is gonna show us the extraordinary beauty and the normal reality of what he's experiencing. He's going to say to us, if you're going to live a faithful life, a life full of faith, a life full of belief, then you're going to anticipate some things, and part of that is going to be this beautiful journey that he's going to invite us into in the afflictions, the persecutions, the oppositions that we might face in a journey of faithfulness. Remember, the church in Thessalonica was incredibly faithful. Uh, despite a lot of their afflictions. And Paul's writing them to say, well done, you're living full of faith, full of belief. This is what's birthing the fruit out of you. Now here's how you stay the course so that you don't get discouraged, depressed, and fall apart despite what you're facing. Let's grab our Bibles and let's turn to the book of 1 Thessalonians. If you're using the Bibles we've provided for you, we're on page 640. 640 of the Bibles we provide 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And we're going to watch Paul unpack this in a sequence now. So he begins in chapter 1 in verse 6. And look what he writes there. Introduction to the letter. He's reminding them of what occurred in Thessalonica. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. You, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So where does Paul begin here? He reminds the church in Thessalonica... When the Word of God came to you and you received the gospel, what did that launch in your life, day one? Affliction, right? Affliction is difficulty. It's struggle. It's suffering. That the very second you received the Word of God, what became normal for you? Some serious affliction. Now, that's not always the case in every story, but it was for them. And he said, despite the affliction... You stepped into the word of God, into the gospel. So Paul begins by establishing the sense that says just because things are hard doesn't mean something is not true or something should be avoided or abandoned. You guys stepped into the gospel truth despite the affliction that came with that step. Now look what he says. He talks about himself. He jumps in and says in chapter 2 verse 2. But though we had already suffered and had been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. So you see what Paul's doing? He's normalizing for the Thessalonian church the journey of the gospel coming into spaces that are dark, blind, broken, and need the redemptive reality of the gospel. He's saying, when it came to you, it created conflict and affliction, yet you stepped into it. When I came to you, I'd already been in conflict, and when I came to you, there was more conflict. What did I do when I came from conflict and walked into conflict? Nothing. I still preached it boldly. I still brought it to the table. I didn't go, oh gosh, God must not be in this. Oh, it's really hard. Maybe God's not blessing this. No, he goes, no, I, I, I figured it was going to be the case. See, what Paul's busy setting us up for is if you're going to carry redemption into a world that is dark and you're going to bring light and a world that is broken and you're going to bring life, then here's what's going to come with that kind of life at times, in fact. Most inevitably and often, it'll probably come, affliction, opposition, persecution. So Paul's going, this, is, this was not unexpected. In fact, he's gonna go on to show them how normal this is. Watch this. In chapter two, if you jump to verse 14, to the second half of verse 14, he says this. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets, and drove us out okay so what 's Paul saying? Hey Hey folks, in Thessalonica, you, you feel like you got some affliction because you stepped into the gospel? You feel like I had some affliction because I brought you the gospel. Well, hey, good news. this has been going on forever since the beginning of the story of God and mankind, every time God had his people, his prophets, his truth come through someone and carry it into dark places, the prophets were usually coming. To Israel during a time when they were not happy with God, not listening, and bringing truth to them. Every time the prophets came with truth, what happened to them? Oh, they faced great persecution. They were cast out, stoned, killed, and everything else. In fact, when God came to planet earth to redeem us, how did we respond to Him? Fell down on our knees to our faces to the ground, worship the King of Kings as He declared the word. No. No, we looked at Him skeptically, we watched Him when we didn't like Him, we made fun of Him, we ridiculed Him, and then we killed Him. Even Jesus, when He came, the redemptive journey that Jesus took was one filled with affliction, opposition, persecution. See what Paul's saying? This is not new. This is the normal pattern whenever redemption enters into this world. Whenever redemption is on the move, then inevitably coming with that redemptive move is opposition, conflict, persecution, and affliction because of the nature of what redemption is entering into. It's not redemption that's the problem. It's what it's coming into that's the problem, and it's always going to affect that. Now watch, Paul's going to take it a step further. Take a look. Now he showed them that this has been going on. Uh, Globally, uh, generationally, any time redemption enters this world. Look what he says in chapter 3, verse 2. We sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker, in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. He's going, Man, we were worried about you because we heard you're under great pressure, great affliction, great persecution, great opposition, and we were worried that maybe you would fold, that you would stop living faithfully, not because you're unfaithful, but because it's hard, Right? I mean, let's just be honest. These aren't like unfaithful, hard people. They just start getting uh, heavy under the realities on which they're called to live. And when it gets heavy, what do you want to do? Let's just be honest. Don't you want to bail? I want to bail. I mean, this week alone, my wife and I have sat in a room, oh, we, can't, we can't do this. And then we come back. Yes, we can. No, we can't. Yes, we can. No, we can't. Because when it gets heavy, it feels hard. And when it feels hard, and living full of belief is difficult. So Paul says, I was worried. But look what he says. For you yourselves know, for you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you now know. Do you see what Paul's doing? What is he normalizing for us? If you're going to live a life full of belief, if you're going to buy into the reality of the gospel rescuing us, and you're going to carry that gospel in word and action into a broken world, when you bring light to darkness, when you bring uh, 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 yourself into brokenness in the world, here's what you can expect, must expect, should expect. Opposition, persecution, and affliction, struggle, difficulty, suffering, because of the nature of what you've been called to do. And look what he says here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. I love this verse. Chapter 1, verse 4, he says this. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and the afflictions that you are enduring. Paul says to them, Listen, when I go around to other churches and they're struggling, I bring you up. I go, Oh, you should you should check the guys out in Thessalonica. Their affliction, their struggle because they're living full of faith, full of belief, is extraordinary. And what we've seen in them is not perfection, but steadfastness. If you could go hang out with the guys in Thessalonica, if you picked them on a bad night, I bet you'd be sitting in a room with them and they wouldn't be doing this. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, you know, Bob just got killed, but it's all good. Because we're full of faith and it's all good. No, they'd probably be sitting in a room going, Should we get out of town? Should we run? I don't know, man. This is hard. I'm gonna kill Paul. What did he bring the gospel to us for? Right? I bet there were plenty of conversations like that. Because you live it, don't you? I mean, let's not pretend that the people in the Bible have some supernatural power that we don't have, where they just live in a transcendent world where everything is hunky-dory. No, they struggled just like we did. They they denied Christ just like we often do. They, they wrestle just like we do, but what Paul is saying is as all of that's happening, what, what, what is worthy of celebrating is when you live in the afflictions that the gospel by definition creates when it enters into the brokenness of this world, and yet you live steadfastly, meaning full of belief. That your end, go- your end point after wrestling through the difficulty is, oh, no, 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 I still know who I am, I still know what I do. The conclusion that Paul draws is simple. It's very simple. If you're going to live redemptively, affliction, persecution, and opposition will be part of your life. Not all the time, but a lot of the time because of the nature of what you're doing. Two, it's normal. It's normal. It's normal. I don't care what your culture tells you. It's normal because you are carrying redemption into brokenness, light, into darkness that doesn't like light. So it's going to come with some serious opposition, and it's worthy of celebrating. Not the suffering, the suffering. God God did not create us to suffer. It's not what he wants. He doesn't celebrate when we suffer, and he's not calling us to be suffering people. Oh, when you suffer, you're spiritual. Oh, when you suffer, you're doing it right. Find suffering and get in it. That's not what God's saying. That's a poverty theology. That says I'm only spiritual when I'm suffering. What God is saying is live redemptively, live on mission, and just so you know, part of the consequence of that is going to be affliction, opposition, persecution. It's going to come, and I'm sorry, because that's the world that we live in. But listen, when it does, as you live in that, it's worthy of celebrating. We do not live in a prosperity theology that says, oh, are you struggling? God must not be blessing you. Oh, are you struggling? What are you doing wrong? There must be some sin in your life. No, what Paul says to the church in Thessalonica is, we see your affliction because of your faithfulness, and we celebrate that your faithful life is producing this reality, and we celebrate you because you are steadfast in it. This is what we do. The authors of Scripture, as they dealt with this reality, this reality that when we enter the world redemptively, it's going to create affliction, opposition, and persecution, they turned thinking upside down with it. They gave us a, a, a secret by which we can begin not only to enter the suffering as a thing to bear, but as a privilege to enjoy. Uh, Let me say that again. They turn it so upside down that the suffering that comes with gospel living is not just a thing to bear, but a privilege to enjoy. Peter does a brilliant job of this when he writes his first letter, 1 Peter. Let me read to you what Peter says when he writes... To the church as a whole. This is what he says. First Peter chapter 4, page 658, if you're using one of our Bibles. 658. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Listen to these words. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial, when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. I love how he starts that. Are you struggling? Is it is it difficult? when you stepped into that messy story because you were trying to be all redemptive, uh, going to do something for God and it got all crazy on you and you're like, God, what are you doing? This was supposed to be hard for a season and then get easy. It's how the whole world works. He goes, don't, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. Look what he says. But rejoice, verse 13, in so far, there's the secret, rejoice in so far as you share Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. You see what he just did? What Peter just did is he said this, folks, when you suffer, because you're living redemptively. This is a different kind of suffering than just the natural suffering that comes from planet Earth, right? We're gonna deal with that next week because Paul deals with that in Thessalonians as well. When you're suffering just because you live on planet Earth, there's a way to handle that. But the suffering we're talking about here is the affliction, persecution, and opposition that comes from choices that you make to be redemptive, to be gospel-centric, to step into difficult things because you're called. He says when that happens rejoice in so far as this, that you are sharing in the very work that Jesus did on this planet. You are sharing in his suffering. And it was his suffering that produced our redemption, our life. So rejoice that you get to share with him. He's invited you into that. And, wait, wait, it's not done yet. That's just a kind of a bearing. Rejoice in this also, that you will also share in his redemption, in his resurrection. Jesus did suffer for us, but he also rose from the dead for us. And this is his promise to our story. I will invite you into missional living on my behalf as ambassadors of Christ. You will suffer as I suffered because that's the nature of redemption. And then I will redeem and resurrect. That's the nature of life. And this is what we can rejoice in. Paul writes later to the church in Philippi in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, and listen to the words that he writes to this church. This is Paul who was also writing Thessalonians, and this is an expansion on his understanding of this beautiful privilege of struggling on behalf of the gospel when we've chosen to be missional. Listen to this, verse 10 of chapter 3. He's just talked about how everything that he had, he considers a loss in comparison to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus. And he says this, that I may know him and the power of His resurrection, and may share His suffering, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. See, Paul is converging God's resurrected life and God's life of suffering because the two cannot be parted. To bring redemption is to bring life into brokenness and light into darkness, which will produce, no matter how you swing it, opposition, persecution, or affliction, or all of the above. But as we enter in with the gospel redemptive story, the resurrected story, what we are promised is that in that affliction, we will see life born. Hebrews chapter 12, the author there writes these words, fix your eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of your faith, wait for it, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the Father. See, what does it say? Jesus took on the cross because he liked the cross? No. Jesus took on the cross because suffering is spiritual? No. God doesn't want us to suffer. Jesus took on the cross and endured it for the joy that was set before him. And then it says, that He scorned its shame and sits at the right hand of the Father resurrected. We enter into the redemptive life because we've discovered that's who we are now. And with that life comes the natural consequence. You see, the authors here are telling us uh, the obvious. They're reminding us of what should be obvious to us, that our culture has caused us to forget at times. That, That you and I, Now that we have discovered the reality of the gospel, our souls are rescued, our future redeemed, our purpose restored, as we enter into the brokenness of this world with the redemption of Jesus, we enter into a space where we're going to take on that brokenness for others. That's what Jesus did for us. Remember, Jesus said it this way. If you're going to follow me, this is what life looks like now. Every day you're going to take up your cross and follow me. It's not a circumstantial reality. It is a missional reality. Every day around you, there are stories that are broken. And you get to participate in those broken stories. Some of them are very small and momentary, and some of them are very big and lifelong. And you get to participate in them redemptively by taking them on. But when Jesus took on His cross for us, He took on our sin, and He suffered by it, then resurrected despite it. And what he says to us is, that's your life now. You get to go into the world. You get to take on the brokenness. Why? Because you are the church, and the gates of hell will not stand up against the movement of the church, light, life, and freedom. See, we're already told we advance into darkness, into the territory of the enemy, and we become the force that brings life, light, and freedom there. We are the ambassadors of Christ. And so what they're telling us is simply this. When you and I declare light to the darkness and bring ourselves to the brokenness as ambassadors of Christ, then we can know this almost always. It is going to produce produce some form of opposition, of persecution, or of affliction. This is our calling. This is exactly why our cultural context is so dangerous to the gospel purpose and reality. You know why our cultural context is so dangerous to the gospel purpose and reality? Because our cultural context tells us that what we should be obsessed with is comfort, convenience, and safety. Because that's the full life. See, our culture tells us, you want a full life? You want a good life? You want a right life? Then create a life that is comfortable, that is convenient, and that is safe. Have enough resources. Have enough relationships. Have, have enough circumstances that you have, that you have ordered in your life so that you are comfortable convenient and safe. And that's our obsession as a culture. And if our obsession is with comfort, convenience, and safety, then we will by definition, by very definition, we will avoid redemptive opportunities because they bring with them discomfort. They bring with them danger every time. They are unpredictable because you are stepping into mess. We will not avoid every redemptive opportunity. Don't get me wrong. We can still be Christians that pick and choose a few redemptive opportunities where we can give a little of ourselves, where we can step in a little bit. We can dare to kind of scrape, uh, oh, 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 redemptive. That was incredible. But we'll measure them, won't we? We'll measure them by how much how much danger, how much discomfort they're going to cause, and then we'll pick and choose the ones that aren't too bad. And if they affect our family, how dare they? Our children, oh God, no. Right? And we will avoid redemptive opportunities because of their very nature. And that's why the danger is, if we buy into the cultural nuances to pursue comfort, convenience, and, 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 and safety, we, by definition, lose the beautiful invitation that God has called us into. But when we find ourselves captivated, not by the cultural um, uh, conclusions of full life, but by the gospel's revelation of full life, when when we remember that our soul has been rescued, our soul has been rescued, that means everything is already secure in us. We have life, we have light, we have freedom and we remember that our future is redeemed. No matter what happens on this planet now, our future is redeemed. We suddenly have the incredible privilege and power to look at the spaces in between soul rescue and future redeemed to the space of created purpose restored. We get to image the gospel, carry the glory of God now, and we go, oh, I'm gonna gonna live for that. And then we are drawn into a life that begins to look for the redemptive opportunities that are afforded us, we consider them a privilege that we would be invited into those spaces and see them. We begin to see that our life, this vapor on this planet that we call a life, is gifted to us to share in the work of Jesus, to share in the suffering of Christ for a redemptive end. Paul writes, to the church in Corinth, the very place he's sitting right now, writing to Thessalonica. Later on, he will write to them, and he writes these incredible words in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm going to read this to you, and as I read this to you, just let these words linger with you. I'm going to close with this concept. Here is Paul's conclusion to the life we've been invited into. Look how he begins. Chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians on page 627, if you want to follow along. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. Listen to these words. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. I love how he starts. You have the ministry you have as I have the ministry I have, the stories we've been invited into, the redemptive stories we get to be part of by the mercy of God. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. But he invites us in by the mercy of God. We will not lose heart because we know we have been invited in by the mercy of God. Look what he says. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We renounce the practice uh, uh, to practice cunning or to temper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God, and even if the gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. So here's what they're saying. When we bring the gospel to you, when we live the gospel before you, if you reject it, that is no concern of ours. See, that's not going to be enough to say, oh my gosh, God is not blessing this. Because some will always be more difficult than others. But look what he says. Look what he says here. He goes on to say these things. Verse 5. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. With ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You see what Paul's saying? We've already received the gospel and it is bright in us and so we carry it to you regardless of consequence. This is the mercy of God that he has given us this ministry. There is such an attitude of invitation into the missional life. Now look what he says. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. See Paul saying when it gets rough, when it gets hard and you say these words, I can't do it. I can't do it anymore good because you're dead right you can't but we are not living in this affliction to demonstrate our power but to demonstrate the power that god has to walk us through whatever story he's called us into and look what he says he now puts it into tangible terms we are afflicted in every way but not crushed perplexed but not driven to despair Persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our bodies. For we who live are always been given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our mortal flesh so death is at work in us but life in us also. See what he's saying? when you carry the afflictions of others because you've stepped into their story and you feel like you are dying under its weight, it is producing life for them. This is what Jesus did for us. Now look, he closes out this way. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, verse 13, I believe and so I spoke. We are invited to share in the redemptive work of God on this planet, including the work of suffering, because that is the nature of redemption. Including the work of suffering for taking on the brokenness of those we are sent to redeem. You and I are ambassadors of Christ. And Christ came to carry our brokenness and suffered under its weight so that he might resurrect for our life. And we are sent into the brokenness of this world to suffer under its weight so that we might be ambassadors of redemption for Christ. And here is the promise we have. When this story is over on this planet and you and I have lived missionally, rested in Christ, he will resurrect every story we're part of, redeem every moment and make it beautiful. This is His promise. So we rest in this, that when we live redemptively, it will produce difficulty. But that's okay, because that's our privilege, not our burden. It's our life, not our burden. Let's pray. God, as we enter into a space that you reveal through this incredible letter to the church in Thessalonica where you call us to see suffering differently than we ever have. That this suffering that is produced through the choices we make for gospel purposes, whether in relationships or in circumstances or in resources, whenever it is costly to us to continue to live redemptively for you, we are grateful that you are reminding us here that though it will feel heavy and some days even unbearable, that you have promised us that we can find joy in so far as it is the result of redemptive living and it will produce redemptive life. That we get to share in your work of redemption, including your work of suffering, is an incredible privilege. And may we find joy not in the suffering, but in the sharing that we get to participate in in the work you have allowed us to be part of on this planet. Help us to see the incredible joy that we have in living on mission for you for the brief time we have on this planet. And help us not to be obsessed or even enticed by the call of comfort, convenience, and safety. But may we rejoice in the call of missional living, redemptive engagement, whatever it may produce. And remind us, God, that you do not want us to suffer. This is not your intent for us, that you will bring us life through it all, but that sometimes suffering is the inevitable end of redemption entering into the brokenness of this planet. May we not fear it. May we embrace it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.